0: Good morning. It's good to be here with you all. I uh, am Randy Lanther. For those who haven't met me yet or been here when I've spoken, I'm the senior pastor of Church in the Valley, and I started the Diamond Bar campus about 28 years ago. And so, about once every four or five weeks, Alex and I flip. He's he's in Diamond Bar this morning, and I'm here. And so, uh, I'm glad to be here. This this room just fits better. It's like a you know, a shirt that really fits good. (laughs) Emotionally, it feels good to be in this room. I haven't been in here yet. Last month when I was here, we got moved back to the auditorium, which felt like we are clanking around in armor that didn't fit, you know, and that's not good. So, uh, really glad to be here. Uh, Very excited to be in the cafeteria this morning, and like I said, it fits well. Uh, I'd like to introduce some special guests to you that uh, we're a part of the congregation way back when we launched, uh, the Diamond Bar campus, uh, Gary and Joni Hamilton, and they're, uh, pastors of a church in Chico that actually, they went out from Church of the Valley, started the church in Chico 25, almost 25 years ago. In September, it'll be 25 years. So we've had a few churches launch out, uh, from Diamond Bar campus and, and, exist and make it and thrive and do well. So Gary and Joni, would you stand? We'd like to welcome you and glad you're here. We are in a message series where we're looking at common questions that uh, people ask and that are raised uh, about Christianity. And what we're doing is we're letting Jesus answer the questions himself and then stepping back from what he said and thinking through uh, how how reasonable that is to believe what he said. So that that's what we're doing in this series. And today what we're going to do is look at what he said about the Bible, about Scripture. And then we're going to step back and look at some reasons why we should take it seriously from his perspective and from others' perspective as well. In our culture in America... The Bible is still a very popular book. Here's here's some stats on the screen about the Bible. Eighty-eight uh, percent of the households in America own Bibles. This is a study that was done in 2014. So 80 percent, 88 percent own Bibles. Four-point-seven is the number of Bibles per household. So they, every household has few Bibles. Um, and then uh, there's, this is sort of the bad news uh 37% of Americans read it once or more a week so not not that many people are reading it although we have them i think Alex made a comment this week that they're they're very thick coasters in some houses <laughs> but that's Alex sorry for mentioning that um, and then 56% of Americans remain pro bible which means they believe the bible is act, the actual or inspired word of god with no errors so that's, that's a pretty high number. I mean, it's still pretty popular in America. In the last three years, though, in the last three years, the number, the percentage of skeptics regarding the Bible has almost doubled. So it was 10 uh, in 2011. And in 2014, it's grown to to 19 percent of those who are skeptical about the Bible, 19 percent of the population is engaged with the Bible, which means that they read it at least four times a week and believe it's actually the Word of God. It's the inspired Word of God with no error. So those are some facts. It's it's interesting, isn't it, that we're in a deadlock tie in America with those who are skeptical about Scripture and those who are really engaged in reading it. And so what we want to do this morning is step back and talk about why we should take the Bible seriously. Why is that? Uh, We're we're here to help you investigate this. If you're following Christ, these questions come up. I had questions in, in graduate school where I was studying to go into the ministry that I just had to get answered. And so... I took, took the time to get the answers to my questions, and we're here to help with that. Whether you're following Christ and have questions and your confidence is shaken, or whether you're on your way to committing your life to Christ, we, we really want to help you investigate these things. That's why we're doing this message series. Uh, we we want you to have confidence in this, and, and that's, that's really lacking in America today. Um, there is a direct, unbreakable link. Between the Bible and following Jesus. So if you're thinking about following Jesus, there's this unbreakable link that goes with that. Now, I I grew up in church, and so I've been reading the Bible, heard about the Bible, taught stories of the Bible my whole life. And I I have to tell you, I, I used to read it out of duty, obligation, and I used to read it thinking, you know, I better do this or the day's going to be horrible or I better do this or no telling what's going to happen. May not go well. I'm not quite sure. But I made a shift several years ago, a couple decades ago, really, where I began to read the Bible to hear what God had to say to me through it. When I did that, I began to crave it like my favorite meal. Which is... Munster chicken. <laughs> my wife makes this stuff. It's really good. It's chicken. You know, she browns it. She puts a little cheese on top. It is awesome. Um, my Second, you know, if I'm going out, Patrilla's Pizza is right up there. <laughs> okay? That's good stuff, too. Can't argue with that. But anyway... When I made the shift to reading the Bible to see what God had to say to me through it, rather than out of duty or obligation, some religious thing that I was doing, boy, I began to crave it, because I found that God really speaks to me through it. He really has a lot to say to me, and it it really makes sense. So the past two weeks, we've been looking at these two questions. On Easter, we looked at, did Jesus claim to be God? What did he say about himself? What makes him unique? Is he just one good moral teacher among many others? Last week, we dug into, is Jesus the only way to have a relationship with God, uh, or is he just one of the many valid paths to God? This week, we're going to look at his view of Scripture. What was Jesus' view of Scripture? What did he say about it? Um, if, If you believe that Jesus is God then what he said about Scripture is ma- really matters. If, if you don't yet believe, that's, that's the question we dealt with a couple weeks ago. You, if you settle that, everything else flows from his identity. So uh, as, we, as we look at the questions we're dealing with today, it, it goes back to his identity. There are some reasons to, to learn that the Bible is what it claims to be. Uh, There are some other reasons, but these questions, all of the ones we're dealing with in in this series, they're all linked together and, and they go together. But here's what Jesus said about the Bible. And he's talking about the Old Testament. He said, for truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So. He's talking about the first 39 books of the Bible here. The what what is called the Old Testament. And he gave it his stamp of authenticity. He said this this is the inspired word of God right here. This is this is from God. It's it's going to come to pass. It's going to be accomplished what God said there is going to happen. Now, here's what he said about the New Testament. The New Testament when he was alive wasn't written yet because it started with his life. It was a started with four biographies of his life, and then what happened after his death and ascension into heaven, then what happened in the early church, and then letters were written by the apostles uh, about what was going on in the churches to give instruction. And so it hadn't been written yet. So what we have to do is we have to look at what he said about it before it was written. And he actually predicted its inspiration. In John fourteen twenty six, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, he's talking to these 12 guys. He's talking to the apostles. And they had authority to write down what they remembered about uh, Jesus' life, what he taught, and, and the Holy Spirit inspired them to do that. Now, the New Testament was written within 60 years um, of his life, of his death, and his life and his resurrection. And he said the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, would inspire the writing of this. So this is his stamp of approval and authority on the New Testament, the last 27 books of, of the Bible that you find there. Another question that we need to bring to Jesus, uh, since we're asking him questions, is why should we take the Bible seriously? And as I said, everything hinges on Jesus' identity in answering all these questions. If he's God, then the Bible is the word, the word of God, the inspired word of God, as he said. And he was very straightforward with his followers about um, how they should view the word of God, how they should handle it. it In fact, it's a major contradiction to say that you're going to follow Christ and not follow the Bible and not believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Major contradiction there. So this is what he said. First thing he said is it gives you a solid foundation for life. This is why you take the Bible seriously. It provides quite a foundation. In Matthew 7, he said, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. So pressure from life reveals the cracks in our foundation. it It reveals uh, the parts of the foundation that aren't so falling, uh, that aren't so strong, that are faulty. And so if we get into the scripture, and we live it. Jesus says we have a solid foundation. This is what I've found. As I get into Scripture, God God really speaks to me. I know when, when I'm dealing with trouble sometimes, having a bad day, having a bad week, a bad month, a bad year, you know, and I'm just going along. There's this temptation in me to feel like I'm the reason that, This is going on, that it's all my fault, I'm guilty, and I struggle with that. And so sometimes it's just this I'm in this milieu or this mix, this vortex of, oh, you know, I'm such a bummer loser, you know. But one of the passages that really helps me is Lamentations 3:21 through 24. It's not on the screen, but it, what it says is, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And that's what the scripture does for us. As we bring the scripture to mind, as we read it, as we allow God to speak to us, there's a tremendous amount of hope in it. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. So if I messed up yesterday, they're new again today. Even in the moment that I'm messing up, God is extremely gracious with me. And that fortifies, that gives me a foundation to live life in a different way. And so uh, that's what Jesus is saying. It gives you a, a solid foundation for living. Number two, Jesus said, God expects us to do it, not just talk about it. That's that's another reason we should take it seriously, because someday God's going to look at our life and he's going to ask the question, how serious was I about this scripture? Did I do it or did I just talk about it? Jesus most scathing remarks were toward the Pharisees. And these guys were a religious group of people, religious leaders who uh, played a lot of games, frankly. A lot of religious games, and he wanted them to know that God isn't fooled at all by their religious games. Uh, they're trying to hide behind, they're trying to hide their hypocrisy behind selfishness and religiosity, and he wasn't going to let them get away with that. He wanted them to know that God's not fooled by that. Uh, in Matthew twenty-three twenty-three, I believe that's on your outline, on your listening guide. He chided them for paying attention to the minor points of God's word and ignoring the major ones which relate to relate that deal with relationships and other things. The, the, more, the more important things. like you, you do a little religious thing, but then you don't pay attention to justice and mercy and kindness to the people around you. In Matthew 23, one through four, he said this. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses seat. Uh, So do whatever, they have a position, in other words, they have an important position. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. So they they say some of the right things, do those, but not what they practice, for they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with a finger. So they're... They're using people in their religious efforts. They're laying a bunch of burdens on them. They're using them. Jesus said, don't do that. So we need to do it, not just talk about it. This is what Jesus said. He, he said the Bible is something to be taken seriously, to be careful in reading it, understanding it, letting God speak to you, and then stepping out to, to do what it says. What I'd like to do now is turn the corner and look at a summary of some other reasons to buy into the credibility of the Bible. And uh, so we're going to ask the question, why why should I trust the Bible enough to stake my life on what it says? Because that's what you need to do if you're going to follow Jesus. Stake your life on it. Um, First of all, Jesus said it was the Word of God. That's the first reason. We've been talking about that. And it, it definitely is a domino from his, if you believe he's the son of God, it's it's sort of a domino that falls after you determine that, and decide that. At first glance, this may seem like an argument where a parent says, because I said so. You know, why why do I need to do that, Mom? And Dad? Why do I need to do it? You know, because I said so. That's why. Um, it seems like that kind of argument because Jesus is God and he's saying, You need to obey it. Um, But there's this domino effect uh, in answering all the questions uh, in the series. Belief in the inspiration of the Bible follows belief that Jesus is God, as he claimed. Uh, And you can investigate his identity and these, these reasons as well. Another reason to trust the Bible is fulfilled prophecy. It's strong evidence for the inspiration of the Bible. The Bible clearly claims to be the Word of God. Uh, It claims to be the inspired Word of God. Over 3,000 times the writers in the Bible use the expression, Thus says the Lord. This is from God. In the New Testament, there's a couple passages that show you, one of them says, the Bible is inspired, and the word literally means God breathed, and it, it, it means exhaled. He, he exhaled the scripture. This comes, in other words, it's talking about where it comes from. It originates with God. He's the source of this passage. Fulfilled prophecy is major evidence to back up the Bible's claim to be the inspired word of God himself. Jesus knew this after his resurrection, he appeared and met with his disciples, the 12 guys who wrote the New Testament. And it says in Luke 24, specifically verses 25 through 27, it says that he laid out how he connected to the prophecies of the Old Testament. So this is what he talked about. He, he dies. He, he raises again. He's got uh, some, some last moments with the 12 guys who are going to m- make Christianity happen. For the rest of history. And he spends the time laying out how he connects his life, his death, his resurrection, how it connects to the prophecies in the Old Testament. And what those guys did, they began to preach and they began to share the message of Jesus and they would tie it to the Old Testament prophecies. So they got it. And it's, it's strong evidence. One example of how Jesus fulfilled these prophecies is in the Old Testament in Exodus 12:46 and in Psalm 34:20 it says that the Messiah the savior the one that God sends to the earth to die for our sins and pay the price for our sins his bones will not be broken that's what it says and it's interesting because on on the cross Jesus is, is dying, and typically what the Romans would do is Roman crucifixion, and what they would do is, to hurry the death along, they would, they would break the bones of the person hanging on the cross, because it would suffocate them. So they're hanging on the cross, they break your legs, and you, you can't, you'd have to, if you're on the cross, you have to, you'd have to raise up to get a breath and you'd have to push up on the stake at the bottom, and they'd break your legs so that you couldn't do that anymore, and you'd suffocate fairly quickly. It's interesting because the Roman soldiers were trying to hurry the death along, and when they got to Jesus, he was already dead. So they didn't need to break his bones. That's that's an example of just one of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. Another interesting prophecy that was fulfilled is in eagle. 26, this doesn't have to do with Jesus' life. But in Ezekiel 26, it predicts that the city of Tyre is going to be destroyed and no city would ever be built on that site again. Kind of interesting. Now, Tyre was an important city. It's like a bustling. This would be like me announcing that Los Angeles is going to be leveled. And nothing's ever going to be built on Los Angeles again. It's just going to be a flat piece of land. It's all going to be beach after this. And this prediction in Ezekiel 26 came true. And you can go to Lebanon, and you can see the flat rocks that provided the foundation for the city of Tyre. It it is not there. Nothing has ever been built on that location since. This kind of thing is typical. The the prophecy would be predicted in the Old Testament and it would be fulfilled time and time again. Nothing has not been fulfilled. There's some in the future that haven't yet. But hundreds of fulfilled prophecy weigh in as evidence for the Bible's inspiration. Another key piece of evidence is the support of archaeology regarding culture, places and people. Uh, one of the things I've heard people say often is that the Bible's just—it's chock full of errors. It's—it's it's got problems. It's not accurate. Um, It's—it's it's there. Uh, the Bible references hundreds of events, places, and people, and so there is plenty of room for error. It's—it's it, it's very likely that there would be, but we find remarkable agreement between the historical record and the record in the Bible. It's amazing, really. One example is that the Bible makes reference to a group of people called the Hittites. Uh, Historians could find no trace of this group in history, in secular history. And so they decided that, well, the Bible's wrong. It's got to be wrong. They, They mentioned this group. It just came... The Bible's sort of legend anyway, so why should we buy into the fact that the Hittites ever existed. Well, for centuries they thought this. And then in 1906, archaeologists conducted a dig that confirmed the existence of the Hittite people. In fact, they uncovered their capital city and 40 other cities that were connected to their empire. This this has happened over and over again in archaeology to the point where a renowned Jewish archaeological expert, Nelson Block said... It may be categorically stated that no archaeological discovery has ever contributed a, a biblical reference. So, historically speaking, it's not chock full of errors. There's a reason to have confidence in the Bible. Another reason to trust the Bible is it has literary integrity. Uh, we, It was written by 40 different authors. All kinds of backgrounds, uh, but it shows a single theme, and the theme is God connecting with humanity and humanity's response to his attempts to connect with us. All 40 authors give a single glimpse of a a single perspective, God's will and plan for humanity. There's, There's this amazing cohesiveness to the story of the Bible. Another concern that crops up related to the Bible and, and it liter- as literature, how, how can I be sure that the text of the Bible is accurate since it was written 2,000 years ago? I mean, I, I personally, I write notes to myself trying to remember stuff, and I can't find the notes. So how, how do we know that 2,000 years ago, This book was written, and what we have today matches up with what was originally written down. One of the major tests of the authenticity of an ancient document is the number of handwritten copies that that exist. Now, Plato and Aristotle, we study them in in college, possibly high school, Um, and for their writings, there are less than 10 copies of what they wrote we, we don't really doubt Plato and Aristotle you know we think how many do you think there are how many copies do you think there are of the New Testament 14,000 copies in existence that have been written down so God made sure that it was taken care of and There is no other place in ancient literature where this kind of documentation exists. That's pretty amazing. All all those facts, all of that. But the only way to make a final decision about the Bible is a personal one. (laughs) And you have to personally confirm that it's inspired as you read it yourself. That's the only way. Let's face it, there are solid reasons to trust the Bible, take it seriously enough to stake your life on it, fulfill prophecy, support of archaeology, literary evidence. But the bottom line is that you're never going to be convinced unless you read it for yourself and it makes sense. You just won't. But as you read the Bible, what happens is God speaks to you. And it's very accurate. I find that it's very accurate about me. As I read the Bible, he has stuff to say to me about my nature, about how life works, about where I've gone wrong. And it has this, as I get into it, it has this ring of authority and inspiration. And I experience that. And that's that's the final reason to have confidence in the Bible so what I want to do this morning is challenge you to read it take the next 30 or 40 days and and read the Bible and see what you think about it I would encourage you to start with one of the biography biographies of Jesus life Luke or John start start there they're two of the biographies about his life and if if you if you need a Bible to read, let us know on the connection card and we will get one to you post haste as quick as possible. And uh, if you'd like to take that step, if you plan to take that step, let us know on the connection card. We we would love to be able to help with this um, and we'd like to know that you're doing it. Just just let us know. That'd be great. Um, but that's that's the final way that you confirm I can trust the Bible enough Uh, to to live my life based on it to do that you need to personally get into it and allow God to confirm it for yourself as I wrap up the message I'd like to ask Sydney Locks to come up Uh, she is going to share some with us about whoops that was not good Um, she's going to share a little bit about her journey in reading the Bible and um i'm looking forward to hearing her story uh sydney's been a part of a training program we have here uh called north star and um she also helps out in the nursery a lot they let they let her loose this morning True I may be and
1: everything to...
0: <laughs> That's right so she may get called <laughs> if she runs out that's what happened um Anyway, a big part of the training is just getting into the scripture, reading through both the whole Bible in a year. And so, Sydney, what were some of the barriers that you faced when you first began to consider seriously getting into the Bible?
1: Well, first, is a little background on my upbringing, I guess. Um, I grew up going to church, but it was a church that was not really Bible-centered. So basically, I was taught to go to church most of the time, like if I don't have anything better to do on a Sunday, um, and to be a nice person and to try to do the best that I could to help support my community, basically. That was really it. Um, I'd never actually read the Bible, except for little bits that were kind of handed to me here and there, delivered directly to me. Actually, like that stat you kind of showed, I think we had three Bibles in our house, but we kept them in the same cupboard that we kept fancy china in. They didn't come out more than like once or twice a year. So if that gives you any insight. <laughs> So when I got to college and got involved with Challenge at USC and then also here at CIV, um, reading the Bible was a brand new, completely overwhelming thing for me. It just seemed like such a big book. You know, it's like how many hundreds of pages and written by how many old dead guys? Like, it's a lot. (laughs) And the language is really tricky. And it just seemed like a lot of work and a lot of effort that I didn't really have time for. Um, And I was just kind of scared that if I put all this time and effort into it to read it, that I would just end up reading it wrong. Um, But a part of me, I think, also was a little bit afraid of what I'd find in there. Um, Like, what if God wanted me to do more than just sometimes go to church and kind of be a good person and try to help out in my community? You know, what if he wanted me to be a person different than the person that I am? And what if I couldn't or wasn't willing to do those things? So the idea of that potential change was just really, really paralyzing.
0: Yeah, that's good. Um, what were some of the ways that you moved past those barriers? What what God used to help you do yeah. that?
1: I don't think that I really did much in moving past those barriers. I think it was all God working in me and changing my heart and my attitude. Um, I was very, very fortunate in that God gave me lots of people to set examples and to kind of help hold me accountable. He'd surrounded me with friends. Some at school who were the same age and in the same stage of life as me, and then lots here at CIV who were a couple steps ahead of me. Um, and everyone there wanted to watch me grow in God, even if I was afraid or initially unwilling. And the fact that I could see all of these people, these people that I was growing to love and trust, um, living out God's word, reading it daily, and they were still interesting, fun, unique people. <laughs> 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 that was amazing to me. I and mean, it was a huge encouragement. Um, and more than just setting that example in that way, um, people were really there to help me, like, learn how to read the Bible. Um, I'd initially met up with Sandra Ritz, who's in this room right now, (laughs) um, and she was kind of helping me go through it. We'd meet up a couple times a week and she'd ask me what I'd read and what I'd learned from it. And I don't know if I've actually told you this, (laughs) Sandra, um, but I would kind of rush through it a little bit here and there. You know, like, I would think, okay, been five days since we met, so that means I should have read five chapters in Mark this week, so I'd read all five of the hour before I met her. <laughs> <laughs> just so I just I'd have something to say. Um, it's not the best start, admittedly, it's true, <laughs> but even through all of that rush reading, God started to open my eyes and to um, change my heart, and I was able to see that reading the Bible really is something that I can do, and I can make time for it, and that it is something that will make a difference in me. Um, it would cause change. But as I was seeing it from these people around me, it was not a scary change like I thought it would be. It was a good change.
0: Hmm. That's good. How has how God used the Bible to make a difference? What are some of the ways in your life?
1: I think one of the most striking things that I've learned from the Bible recently it kind of keeps, keeps coming at me is really God's character and the way he sees the world and his people. Um, and it has implications throughout my whole life. One thing that I personally have consistently struggled with is not feeling like the right person for the job. Like, surely God would want someone that's more mature and more patient and loving and reliable than I am to represent him. Like, I don't do things right. Like, even when I was getting ready to talk today, I was thinking, why would they want me to talk about this? Like, I miss my quiet times with God sometimes. And I rush through some of my Bible reading and just skim through things sometimes. Um, and definitely not getting what I need to be getting out of it. Um, like, I shouldn't be teaching anyone. Anything about reading the Bible. Um, but then I, rem- then I remembered the countless times in the Bible where God has used imperfect people to fulfill his purposes. And then the grace that he extends to them as they mess up. Like all of the greats, Moses and Abraham and David, all of them were regular people who made mistakes, um, but God still worked through them. They obeyed God and trusted in his will. And so through that, they were able to point to God's perfection and not their own flawed human self through the successes. And that's really what I want to try to do with my life.
0: That's great. Well, what's a piece of advice that you would give to someone who's starting out reading the Bible or they, they want to read it, they got away from reading it, they used to read it? What, what would you say?
1: It's going to sound silly, but just read it. Um, even in small bits and even if you don't really think you can, start small, one chapter a day. One chapter a week, even. Um, Look for a friend. Ask a friend or a mentor to be an accountability buddy. If you look around this room, I guarantee you, everyone here would love to assist in that way. Um, I have found that having someone to challenge me and encourage me has been so, so helpful. So Just find someone. Ask questions. um, Ask them to pray for you or with you. Because that prayer, the prayer that God will open your eyes and really just change your heart, is going to make a lasting difference in your life and your attitude.
0: That's great. Thank you, Sydney. very much. As I wrap up the message, I'd like to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to wrap up quickly. Um, If you take the time now to finish completing any information uh, or next steps that you haven't had a chance to, to let us know about, that'd be great. Uh, here are a couple steps you could take. I mentioned reading the Bible for the next 30, 40 days. We suggest Luke or John. Um, and then there is a an extra handout in your program uh, with some additional resources related to Scripture. I think you'll find these very helpful. Uh, just understanding the Bible, getting the big picture. There's a couple of resources there. People often have a lot of questions. How did the Bible come together? How did they decide which book should be in the Bible? Who decided that? How did that work? Um, there's there's a, um, a link on the, the web that you can go to that gives some very helpful background on that. There's a little short book. It's an e-book called How the Bible Came to Be There that, that could really help. And then there's some other resources there as well that you can check out. Uh, as we get ready to do that. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for uh, the truth we see in your word and the way that you use your scripture to guide us. And I just pray, God, as we're all here together, that you'd be pleased and and that you would help us um, as we um, are trying to walk with you and as those of us who are trying to figure out uh, whether or not you're real. God, I, I just pray that you would you'd give direction and guidance and help uh, in that. And I, I ask, Father, also that you would clearly give us the power to take the steps you've laid on our hearts to take this morning. We ask that you'd be honored in everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.